us anymore. Are you ready? Now I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you. I said I want the truth! I say we take off and nuke the entire site from Dodge that. Welcome back to the BBFC podcast. This Halloween we're going to be chatting about horror in kids' films. We'll be discussing all the PG-rated films that kept you up at night as a kid, including The Witches, along with recent films such as Scoob and Matthew Garan's retelling of Pinocchio. To discuss this topic, I've invited Johnny, our senior compliance officer, and Wallace, one of our compliance officers, to join me. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you again, Megan. First of all, I have to ask you both, what film scared you the most when you were younger? I mean, there's, there's only one candidate for me. In my childhood, there were characters I was scared of, but I, I quite liked being scared of, you, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West or, or whoever. But there was one character that had a completely different effect. I didn't like being scared of him. There was nothing fun about it. It's like the difference between being on a roller coaster and being on an actual crashing train. I'm talking about gummage. There's a whole load of listeners out there, I, I know, who have just experienced a frisson of, of raw terror at the name. Wurzel Gummidge is a scarecrow in an ITV series of that name. It was pre-Watershed. Um, it was skewed for a family audience. Uh, he was alive for some reason. I, I, I don't know why. Some devilry had gone on. I never got that far. Played by John Pertwee, of course, who also played one of the Doctor Who's. Uh, it started in 1979 when I was three and went um, recklessly on for a few years. And still terrifies you to this day. Well, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that, like, even now, if we, were, if we three were in a Halloween party, you know, and, and John Pertwee, God rest his soul, was there in full gummage costume, I think, I think I'd be able to handle it, but I would be deeply uncomfortable. Like, you would have to, you would have to talk me down. You know, if he made any sudden movements, that, that would be it. Out the door. <laughs> but Wurzel Garmage is available on DVD if you, if you, want, um, if you want to see it. Uh, so it has been examined by the BBFC. Um, we rated them use with a couple of PGs. And I took a look at some of the reports um, out of morbid curiosity. Now, BBFC examiners are usually made of sterner stuff than me. Yeah, we see a lot of horror. Um, but here is my question to you. Do any of the examiners even mention the horror in Wurzel Gamage? What do you think? Do, do, you think? do you think any of the reports express concerns? Reading previous reports, I'm going to go with a yes, but they're probably going to say, yes, but it is also mitigated by childhood context and the, the, the overwhelming positive narrative. You're right. Most, most of the comments are along the lines of, you know, um, innocuous, uh, perfectly suitable at you. <laughs> One examiner calls it very sweet. You know, this is a program that uh, there was no question of being behind the sofa, I literally couldn't be in the same room as it. Um, but there is a voice of reason. I'm going to refer you to RB's report on Wurzel Gummidge Down Under, in which she says after viewing it, quote, Wurzel Gummidge must be the creepiest children's entertainment in the history of children. 
for me, this experience was a waking nightmare. I had only just got over my childhood memories of him, um, nailed up in a field, crucifixion style. Please, can we reject it? He's joking, of course. She recommends you. And there's a serious point here, which is that they, although as a child, I, and by the signs of it, R.B., uh, was terrified by Wurzel Gummidge on TV. Millions of families did watch it, you know, without turning a hair. They weren't petrified or scarred in any way. The, the production team didn't mean it to be scary. Our reaction was, was unusual. It was like, it was essentially a phobia. And if we classified children's works based on, you know, quite rare individual responses, even quite strong ones like mine and uh, RB's, then a huge audience of children who could watch Wurzel Gummidge without turning a hair would, would be denied it. Every child is different. It's, it's impossible to predict what, what the individual might be scared of. And we have to bear that in mind when we're classifying horror UNPG. And of course, um, at the BBFC, we always take into consideration that whilst some children might be completely fine with a PG, there are always going to be children that are more predisposed to being more scared by um, kind of more horror content, even if it's mitigated by, you know, something that's a bit more funny. Um, for example, I was a very terrified child. I was a very unreasonably terrified child. No. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even watch many Disney films. I had to be escorted by my mum out of The Emperor's New Groove. And I wasn't even that young because I was so scared of that Yasma, you know, the purple villain. Yasma, she's scary beyond all reason. Um, what about you, Wallace? Um, it's not a particularly scary film, but um, the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang sticks out for me. I've never really been able to shake the, the sort of feeling of mild terror that you get when you, you kind of watch him. And it, I think it's the, his sort of, the way he moves. Um, he's sort of skipping and he's, he's trying to lure children in by, you know, this very colorful, sweet cart. Um, you know, he's offering them kind of sweets and lollipops. And it's just the, the sort of complete shedding of the, you know, the, the nice sort of facade. And then he kind of locks him in the, in the cage. It was a tricky one, but it, I think it also meant that I never spoke to strangers when I was younger, you see. I think, you know, it was, uh, it, had, it had some messages, had underlying messages in it. And it's, yeah, I think that's a, a you film. It's, it's a largely quite cheery musical, you know, really heartwarming kind of story. But yeah, it was just th that particular character, I think, um, yeah, definitely sticks, sticks in the memory. You're absolutely right about, about the child catcher's movement. Um, yeah. I, think, I think that's the key to the horror of it. Yeah. Like, and he's played by uh, Sir Robert Helpman, who was one of the great ballet dancers of the age. And he's really? got total mastery of his movement in the role. He, he flows across the screen. He just jumps on tiptoes. I think it's, it's just there's something about it that was very, very creepy. Thinking about, you know, the, the two examples you've given are maybe more um, kind of older examples of scary films, but thinking about our current classification guidelines, what do they have to say about scary scenes that are aimed at children at the PG and U level? Our classification guidelines say that where films are targeted at younger audiences, our classification decisions will take into account certain factors. 
um, such as frequency, length, um, the sort of detail that, that's included in, in the scary and unsettling scenes. Um, and we also take into account things as like the impact of music and sound, because obviously when people are in watching this in a theatre, that, that can all have uh, some kind of bearing on, on how unsettling a, a particular scene is to, to a, a child. And particularly at the, the junior level, we appreciate a sort of swift and perhaps reassuring outcome to these, to these scenes, um, just so that things are perhaps not, not too overbearing. You mentioned about kind of the intensity and the sound and the music and everything. Um, how does the intensity of the horror and maybe, you know, the suspense as well impact the rating? Well, between PG and 12 or 12A, maybe, maybe the easiest thing to explain it and to show the difference between PG and 12 in terms of threat and horror. Uh, it's quite handy because two very famous films have been reclassified this year. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, which was raised from U to PG with scary scenes being cited as one of the reasons, and Fellowship of the Ring, the, the first of the uh, the first of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, which I watched in our examining theatre just just after lockdown, and which went from PG to twelve. And leaving aside the violence in both films, uh, here's the critical bit, which Wallace has just described from our guidelines about horror at PG and it applies to all the films we're talking about today and it says uh, frightening sequences where characters are in danger should not be prolonged or intense fantasy sequence and comedy may be mitigating factors now both films couldn't be any more fantastical when we're not in a real world that children have to worry about when they leave the cinema uh, we're in a galaxy far far away and both films have regular comedy to diffuse the tensions. So most obviously um, the droids in Empire and Merry and Pippin performing pretty much the, the same comic relief in Fellowship. So uh, fantasy and comedy mitigates in both cases. But are the sequences where characters are in danger prolonged or intense? Well, a, a good illustration of that might be to, to compare the Wampa sequence in Empire with the minds of Moria in Fellowship. So in the Wampa scene, Luke Skywalker uh, is attacked by an ice monster. The Wampa, he's hung up, um, we sense to be eaten later. He uses the force to grab his lightsaber just in time. He kills the monster. Uh, he escapes and Han Solo rescues him from freezing to death. Now, during that sequence, uh, Kirshner is the director is constantly cutting away from Luke's predicament, you know, often to comedy. So uh, to hand bickering with Leia, uh, to the droids bickering with each other. And it, the whole scene ends reassuringly, uh, not for the tonton, but it ends with a joke. In fact, uh, Han thought they smelled bad on the outside. The monster is mostly seen in long shot. Uh, the cave is bathed with light. The, the emphasis is on Luke's growing powers with the Force. All of these things meant that the sequence wasn't considered prolonged or intense and was fine at PG according to our guidelines. Now the Minds of Moria sequence in Fellowship, if you can picture it, it goes from the attack of the Watcher in the water, they're sealed into the mines, there's a growing realisation that the dwarves have been wiped out, um, drums in the deep, monsters attack. There's a big jump scare with the cave troll. 
they run away pursued by goblins and it, it's all building up to the big monster which is the balrog so it's a good it's a good half hour of pretty relentless threat and horror jackson never cuts away from it uh, there's there's very little comedy from memory um, although there is a bit pippin knocking the bucket down the well isn't isn't played for laughs thankfully it's just really tense and the whole brilliant sequence ends i shouldn't say how it ends should i it, it, ends, it ends unhappily um so it's it's really hard to argue that the minds of moria isn't prolonged or intense and it, it went to 12a while the miti multiple mitigating factors of empire meant that it, it didn't have to jump all the way from u to 12a and it's now a pg um, thanks for that jenny um looking at key films that I found scary as a child. The first one that instantly comes to mind is the 1990 dark comedy film, The Witches. It's rated PG for mild scary scenes and mild bad language. Wallace, can you tell me a bit about how the film was classified and what factors the examiners took into consideration? Yeah, so this, yeah, as you say, this came to us in 1990, so the year that I was born, just to put that into perspective and also reveal my age. Um, but yeah, so with this film, the the threat from the witches is, is sort of established very, very early on. You know, we get the, this kind of sort of backstory, the, the main protagonist, the, the young boy, his, his grand sort of tells him stories about witches and, and the kind of things that he needs to sort of look out for. Um, and, you know, with these potential sort of evil, evil people. And it's the sort of, you know, I think what I found a bit unnerving is the sort of idea that they're ordinary people, they're living among ordinary people, you know, so the threat is kind of, it's within a sort of real world kind of scenario of sorts, which can be quite sort of perhaps more unnerving to to younger audiences than than something that's sort of set in in sort of fa a fantastical world and we've also got scenes of of the sort of when the witches sort of um reveal their true forms um you know so we have them kind of removing their masks and sort of showing what is sort of quite grotesque physical features shall we say you know they've got kind of long noses and they've got sort of skin with boils on them um you know they have square feet um so all these things are, are sort of quite yeah they're, they're i still find them scary i don't mind saying that yeah and there's also sequences in which children are, are transformed into mice you know so so in terms of kind of imagery we've got sort of quite brief but altogether still quite disturbing sort of sequences in which children are, are sort of in between states so they're kind of like half rodent and half human um, and they're surrounded by like a, a green sort of mist before they kind of scurry away to safety um, so that the, really there's lots of sort of challenging elements to this film at, at PG but ones that you know have all been sort of carefully considered upon classification by by those you know who, who did this but on the, on the other hand, the sort of, we have elements of sort of, as you said, it, it's kind of a dark comedy. So we've got sort of elements of humour in and around these kind of very threatening, disturbing scenes. So for instance, like the mice immediately take on sort of anthropomorphic quality. So we, they're talking, um, you know, and they're kind of running around and talking to each other. Uh, we've got like one of them sort of not looking too disturbed by the fact that he's a mouse he's sort of he's getting to eat donuts and, and cake that he's found lying around so he's, he's sort of in his element 
So you, you get that almost immediately after the transformation, which is, is it adds reassurance from what is, you know, essentially quite a heightened sense of threat during during those scenes. And then I think another sort of favourite of mine is like a figure like Rowan Atkinson, who plays the, the sort of hotel manager. Um, and he sort of helps to lighten the tone with, it's sort of like an unwavering professionalism. Like, you know, even though he's flinging mice sort of across the the sort of this lovely uh, restaurant area you know he's, he's he's still polite to the guests um you know which is it's just it's just utter chaos but he's kind of he's still maintaining this kind of professional air to him so um and i think also key at pg uh, which is what we we like to see is a sort of focus on the resourcefulness of the the heroes of the the story so uh, you know and how sort of brave they might be and um, so even luke as a little mouse you know he's sort of he's really determined to to try and stop the witches you know from fulfilling their their sort of evil plans you know so he kind of goes up against a cat you know and uh, yeah just and he goes into a kitchen and and sort of nearly has his he has sort of a little end of his tail chopped off but we don't see this which is key at pg it's sort of it's all implied in in the sort of the framing um, and there's not too much kind of bloody detail so yeah it's kind of things like that where you know we've got heightened sense of threat but but then there are moments of recovery of sort of comic relief um which offer kind of a reassurance to younger audiences that you know it's not all doom and gloom and I think, um, you know, the fact that it's uh, based off the Roald Dahl book and people recognise his books as being, you know, for children, very framed around a positive outcome. I mean, the film differs from the book considerably in the ending and it does have an overall happy ending in this, in this version. I just wondered whether, um, you know, the, the background of the film and the recognition that children might have with the author and the framing of the film, how that helps kind of contain it at PG. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. It's, it's, as you say, it's from a sort of quite um, sort of well-known author. I certainly grew up with a lot of sort of Roald Dahl stories and that sort of, it kind of, it can almost establish, as you say, certain sort of tropes that you, you might be familiar with from the books. You know that there's going to be sort of good, wholesome characters um, even though the stories sort of deal with, you know, quite sort of hard going topics, I guess, you know, that there are some um, sort of kind of nasty characters that you, you, you come up against. But I think, yeah, as you say, the sort of perhaps you already know that there's the sort of those those lighter elements that will sort of um, offer a reassurance or a, a sort of positive an overall positive outlook on the stories. Do you know if we had much feedback from the film at the time? I think responses to the film were largely quite positive at the time. And it is a film that sort of many children have, have grown up with and it sort of perhaps continue to be introduced to, um, you know, despite kind of the age of the film. And I also think that the fact that the story is being adapted a sort of second time, um, that kind of proves that perhaps this is a bit of a, a sort of classic tale and you know there's something that even sort of contemporary audiences can can sort of enjoy i think it's still it you know it's still it as you say it sticks in the mind as being something that's quite scary um and i'm not sure whether that's changed so what do you think parents should be aware of when watching the film with younger children for halloween this year i think that obviously as, as johnny outlined 
every child is different so it's um you know what what could scare one child of a particular age is not necessarily a sort of universal um, stamp of approval so I think it's worth parents just bearing in mind what might be sort of particular trigger for, for their child what as you say Megan you were scared of easma you know are there any kind of um you know d is the child kind of quite scared of, of witches or kind of magic or, th or things like that yeah but I think it's just the the sort of fact that we're dealing with with witches we're dealing with sort of something that is perhaps quite close to a child's frame of reference you know about sort of um witches living among ordinary people and sort of snatching children um you know that's something to bear in mind you know there are kind of there are scary scenes you know in which kind of children are, are transformed into into rodents um, and we do get the sort of grotesqueness of the of the witches but then also at the same time we do have these sort of mitigating factors of, of humor um and sort of reassuring outcomes which which we went over um so yeah on on balance um it's it's a it's a pg a comfortable pg thank you um and parents of course can always check out the ratings info on our website as well or on our app um which can just give you an outline of maybe some of the classification issues that might be raised um, which can always be useful as well Another film you might be watching this Halloween um, or that's recently come out is the new adaptation of Pinocchio. It's a 2019 Italian fantasy film directed by Matteo Garone and based on the 1883 book The Adventures of Pinocchio by Italian author Carlo Collodo. You might recognise this from the Disney version of Pinocchio, um, but there are some differences in the films. Johnny, can you tell me a bit about these differences? Yeah, I mean, just just to say, first of all, Pinocchio was a was a really tricky one. We've we've had a few complaints about our decision, which, like all decisions, Wallace and I make uh, every day, was was based on our guidelines. I, I was part of the team that examined it. It is an Italian fantasy, a live action retelling by Matteo Garoni, as you as you say, Megan, of the Italian children's book from eighteen eighty three, um, which tells the story famously of a, a wooden puppet who wants to be a real boy. Um, it's a book of a huge cultural significance, AI, artificial intelligence, a very beautiful Spielberg film um, from Kubrick's development. It's very broadly a retelling of Pinocchio. The idea of someone's nose growing when they lie, that comes from Pinocchio. Like he's up there with Holmes or Dracula or Alice as one of the few literary characters that are instantly recognizable. But people are certainly most familiar um, with the great Disney version, as you say, Megan, um, from 1940. Now, what you wouldn't necessarily know about Pinocchio from the Disney is that it's a dark story. Uh, Pinocchio is turned into a donkey and thrown into the sea to drown. Puppeteer threatens to use him for firewood. Uh, he's hung from a tree by villains, but we'll come back to that. It's in a grand tradition of fairy tales, and, and fairy tales are quite dark. They're about forests and danger and monsters. Now, does that fact mean that a film based on a fairy tale is going to be suitable for children in 2020? You know, absolutely not. You, you wouldn't have to work very hard to make a 15 version of something like Hansel and Gretel, or, or even an 18 one. The Company of Wolves, Neil Jordan's horror film based on Angela Carter's reimagining of Red Riding Hood is an 18. But Pinocchio does at least does have a grounding in tradition. It's a it's a tale that's delighted children for over a hundred years and that doesn't necessarily make it a U or PG, but it does mean there's a weight of expectation when we're 
applying the guidelines. So I'll just take one scene from Pinocchio, the one which we talked about most in our discussion after the film. In it, Pinocchio has been warned about assassins uh, and he's walking through the countryside at night and Cat and Fox, the villains, spring up and chase him. He asks for help at the Blue Fairy's house, but she refuses and the villains capture him. And the next morning we find him hanging from a tree and one of uh, the Blue Fairy's minions comes along and saves him and takes him home. So when we're, when we're thinking about the threat in that scene, you know, we're looking at the same part of the guidelines that we applied to Empire Strikes Back at PG and Fellowship of, of the Ring at 12. Remember, it, it says uh, frightening sequences where characters are in danger should not be prolonged or intense. Fancy settings and comedy may be mitigating factors. So we're thinking when we look at that scene, is, is the sequence fantastical? Clearly, yes, it is. Is there comedy? It's not a funny sequence, but there, there is comedy in, in that the villains are comically blundering and, and the fact that they try to hang Pinocchio is a, is a joke. It's a joke on them. You can't hang a piece of wood. Is it prolonged or intense? Well, we're, we're not in the 30-minute territory of the minds of Moria. It's probably three or four from start to fin finish. It's probably three or four from start to finish. Is it intense? Yes, it is. You know, there's, there's a chase. Pinocchio looks for safety. He can't find it. It's nighttime. Pinocchio is in some ways a child. He's, he's played by a child and, and hanging a child doesn't, doesn't feel PG. But it, in other ways, he's definitely not a child. You know, his whole, his whole quest is to become a child. And, and crucially, it's established that he doesn't feel pain. So applying the guidelines, we, we felt that there were enough mitigating factors to keep that scene a PG. But obviously we, we read and carefully consider every complaint that gets sent into the board and, and we reflect on our decisions. My, my feeling, I suppose, is, is that the strength of the response to Pinocchio was at least partly influenced by current events. It was released when families were just coming out of lockdown. We were all desperate to be cheered up. Perhaps we were more in the mood for a, a Walt Disney Pinocchio than the Garoni version. But would it have been fair on the Garoni version for us to put it to 12A, you know, for, for not necessarily being the type of film people wanted at that particular moment, despite the fact that the guidelines indicated a PG? It's a tough one. I, I don't know. I suspect not. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mention because um, the hanging scene is one that's been um, kind of brought up quite a lot in the media um, as well. But you mentioned that, you know, you can't hang a piece of wood. Um, does the fact that we know him as, you know, a puppet, does that, is that one of the main mitigating factors, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. So, like I mentioned, that it's been established that he doesn't feel pain as a character. Um, earlier on in the film, he burns himself. And in fact, he burns himself in the original Disney version. And his response to the burning is um, he's, he's not bothered by it. And so we know that he's not, he's not suffering during that sequence. And I think that that really helped when we were, when we were making our decision. And I guess another thing to kind of say about Pinocchio is that because it has got that Disney kind of background, you, you as a viewer kind of in a Disney mentality when you're watching it. So I, I presume maybe that, you know, the people going in to watch it have that in mind. And they also know with Pinocchio that it's got an overall positive ending. 
and there's that familiarity as well as we say which we also talked about in the witches and the royal doll books which i suppose helped as well is that the case yes it is i mean the disney film is well for want of a better term it's it's a disney-fied version of the stories the sharp uh, the sharper edges of the original stories are blunted out you know there are songs it's animated uh, it's a it's an unimpeachable you the, the only thing that we mentioned in the ratings info last time it came in was I think the cigar smoking in the film. Uh, the hanging scene isn't there. Um, it wouldn't have passed at you if it had been. The donkey transformation is there, you know, the, the drowning's there. Um, he burns himself, like I said. But it's a, it's a, the Disney version is a low-end you version of the story, as opposed to this high-end PG one. And it's also worth noting, I suppose, um, the age range for the PG, because despite it meaning parental guidance, we would usually say that it's suitable for children aged eight and over. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the key of PG is that um, a film shouldn't unsettle a child at around eight or older. And so parents are advised to consider whether the, whether the content may upset their own child, like like we said earlier in the podcast it's often difficult to it's often difficult to say um but as you mentioned earlier megan you know our our, our long ratings info is available on our website um uh, for every film that's in the cinemas and, and if 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 you have any doubts then it's always best to check that thank you very much um the next one we're going to talk about is childhood favorite of mine actually that has had its retelling recently in 2019 and that is scoob um, Wallace, can you tell me a little bit about the classification of this film? I can. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, it was, I was on the team. I classified this one. Yeah, so I think the, the main issues, we classified this PG for mild threat, rude humour and language. And I think what is interesting about this retelling is that obviously we're dealing with a, a familiar character he's obviously he's, he's well established now scooby-doo he's you know and also in terms of like the various tropes that that we know happens in a, a scooby-doo episode you know it's it's very kind of well established but i think what i love about this is how it in this new adaptation um, we get the sort of origin story of how scooby and shaggy become friends um, which of course involves a large sandwich, a large meaty sandwich, um, which is really lovely to see because obviously when you're watching, when you're usually watching the kind of older Scooby-Doo's, it's, you know, it's well established that they're, they're friends, but this, this sort of film gives it, you know, the origin story that we've always wanted to, we've always wanted to know really. And, and it's also this story, it's given a sort of real contemporary feel. So we, we have sort of um, celebrity faces such as Simon Cowell appearing um, in it. And we've got kind of, there's other contemporary references like to do with Netflix and things like that. So it's stuff that kind of younger audiences will be familiar with. Um, we've also got voices from Zac Efron and Amanda Seyfried, um, you know, so they'll be kind of familiar as well. And I think it's a it's a film that sort of the whole family can enjoy together because it's it's kind of funny it's it's sort of action packed but there's also some really positive messages about the importance of friendship you know and how that can sort of overcome certain barriers but then I think there's quite a lot for sort of older viewers so for parents as well who will obviously be familiar with with Scooby Doo um, but there's characters from like 
from, that perhaps are from their childhood. So we get an appearance from Dastardly and Mutley, who who I know from from the series Wacky Races, which which was a favourite of mine growing up. You know, along with some kind of newer sort of twenty first century references that that you know they can share with their children. Yeah, and we do have kind of familiar sort of Scooby Doo type scenes in which they go into a haunted house, and you've got people like revealing themselves under you know like the ghosts are not actually a bit of a spoiler really but you know we've got the kind of the usual reveal so yeah there's kind of the the creepier moments are sort of peppered with you know the the sort of there's yeah a lot of comedy elements which and shaggy kind of uh, bring bring to the table that's also a fantastic well I, i think it's a full recreation of the original tv show intro which I absolutely was gobsmacked by when they actually just recreated the whole intro scene. And I hadn't watched Scooby-Doo since I was maybe around eight, but straight away I was like, this is the, this is the introduction. They've like completely remade it. And like, I think like touches like that were just so fantastic for young people to share that experience with their parents or with their older siblings as well. Um, so it's definitely one for the whole family to watch together, I think. Definitely, I would agree. And yeah, we kind of touched on the older Scooby-Doo. Um, how does the film differ from the TV show that everyone really remembers? With any kind of new adaptation, we've got sort of new visual effects, um, which can have a um, an overall bearing on the sort of intensity of certain scenes. As we were saying, the sort of the creepy haunted house um, scenario, maybe that kind of amplifies the sort of level of threat slightly. But at the same time, it's all sort of very, it's very colourful. Um, it's very sort of lighthearted in tone. Yeah, and a lots of kind of really sort of positive messages. So yeah, while there are kind of really sort of established tropes, we have a lot of like robots as well, kind of robotic characters, which kind of chase the the heroes around, which is kind of more of a contemporary touch. But even these are sort of well contained at PG because they're, they bring their own comedy element. These, these robots are kind of quite funny and um, yeah, they're kind of, even though they're relentless, they're just sort of, there are some that are quite cute, you know, they look quite sort of almost as if you can cuddle them. So yeah, I guess those are kind of things that might be sort of new that are not kind of as well established. Um, But I think, yeah, it's still sort of a, a good one at, P- at PG for, for those reasons. I mean, aside from Jeepers, there is also a little bit of bad language in this one as well. Um, how do we contain that at um, a PG and how does this differ to the language allowed at you? So yeah, there is some mild bad language in Scoop um, and our guidelines sort of take into account the views expressed in, in our sort of public consultation exercises um, that we engage with, which sort of place certain words above others in terms of category, depending on how sort of audiences kind of feel about them. However, I would say that the mild bad language in Scoob, although it's kind of not acceptable at U level as per our our guidelines, it is in keeping with PG um, as it's not particularly aggressive. It's more of a kind of expression of frustration from the characters, you know, as they try to sort of muddle their way through, through sticky situations. Um, so I think that's key. It's the sort of context surrounding the way that the language is used. So even though at you, we wouldn't find certain words acceptable, um, it's sort of the, the way that they're used. It's still very lighthearted and we haven't got any sort of aggressive 
you know, uh, exchanges as such that use bad language. So it is, it is comfortable at, at PG level. So Scoob was released over lockdown. Um, how does watching films at home differ from the big screen experience? And how can you make a film night extra spooky for this Halloween? I think perhaps one of the benefits of watching a film from home, um, you know, even though, you know, it's perhaps a little more exciting to go out to the cinema to view something, particularly if it's kind of a spooky film, I think it's good that you're surrounded by home comforts. So a film that does have sort of scary scenes might feel a little less threatening in a sort of familiar environment to younger people. Um, I think viewing films from home could be a sort of great introduction to films with kind of more scarier themes. It's perhaps a sort of way in which sort of families and children can sort of be prepared for seeing something that is a little bit scary on the big screen. And of course, there's always kind of ways to to sort of, you know, vamp up the viewing experience, perhaps like dressing up, um, you know, or making some sort of Halloween themed snacks, perhaps decorating the house, you know, sort of recreating your own kind of spooky, favorite spooky scenes. Um, you know, all these things can perhaps, yeah, just make it a little more exciting. Yeah, definitely. I think I'll be making Scooby snacks uh, this Halloween. Snacks, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. What advice would you give to parents who might be worried about how scary a children's film looks? Well, the the advice that I would that I would give is to um, before you take your children along to the cinema, just check our our uh, long ratings info on our website for that particular film, and we'll we'll tell you all of the issues that are involved in it and all the things that that um, that you might like to know. Uh, and that way you, you go fully armed into the into the cinema. I think perhaps sort of, you know, like, I guess parents can sort of trust in their own instincts about what their, their child is particularly sensitive to, you know, because you, you perhaps you'll have a sort of particular idea. And as, we, as we've sort of reiterated, you know, not everyone is going to be scared by the same things. You know, they might have particular sort of things that they are quite sensitive to. So I think in that case, as Johnny said, just sort of check our, um, you know, our website and our long ratings info, um, you know, and it's just a way that you can be, you know, absolutely assured that there's nothing in there that, that might unsettle, unsettle your, your children. Yeah, definitely. Um, and finally, I asked you at the start who your scariest villain was growing up. Now I want to know who is your all-time favourite kids film villain? I've got mine and I didn't need to think about it uh, that much at all, but it's, it's Miss Trunchable from Matilda, um, you know, another PG-rated Roald Dahl adaptation, you know, throwing children around by their pigtails, you know, locking them in the chokey, uh, making them eat an entire chocolate cake, um, you know, the scenes that will always stick out in my mind. But despite how sort of evil Miss Trunchable is to, to the children at the school, um, I always found her to be quite a fascinating character, um, you know, with a, with a sort of sporting prowess and a sort of, you know, a kind of drill sergeant way of dressing up. You know, I've always wanted an, a mistrunchable origin story. Like, I think that's what, what's what we're missing right now. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. What about you, Johnny? Well, mine is, mine is probably the, the child catcher, as mentioned by, by Wallace earlier on. But, but it's also... It's hard to look past um, Corella Deville. Oh, well. yeah. Uh, almost the perfect um, 
kids movie villain I would say. Mm. Agreed. Well you can sit down with your kids and discuss who you think the scariest bad guy is amongst other film related info over on our polls on CBBFC and there's also lots of other resources you can check out there and some movie packs so if you're looking for some discussion points or some activities you can do whilst having your spooky night we've got one for the Adams family which is really great and thank you both for being here really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today and hopefully see you again soon if you've got any podcast recommendations do drop us a message over on twitter or facebook at bbfc and check out our website bbfc.co.uk thank you very much